Well, good evening. It's good to see you. I'm glad somebody's here on spring break. I want you to look in your Bible at Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel 28. And there are some handouts. I'll try to remember to announce it again. But they're up here on the front pew. Or the... Everybody follow what those directions are. The first row of chairs. And uh, what it includes are all of the PowerPoints are in there. So as we showed all the PowerPoints and you were reading and taking notes, they're all in there. So Ezekiel 28.15 is the verse we're looking at, and it is the the real origin of sin in the universe. And speaking of Lucifer before the fall, you have in verse 11 and following through verse 14 that he was blameless, perfect, uh, beauty and everything, and he was on the holy mountain with God, meaning he was in the, apparently in the closest proximity to God of any of the created angelic world. He had a special place, it appears. Verse 15, and you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created, so he wasn't created with sin, until unrighteousness was found in you. So he wasn't created with it. It came about later, but the question is how? Repeatedly, uh, ten times in the New Testament, you find him called the evil one. For example, Jesus prayed for the apostles and all who would believe after them. I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. And when you study this about his fall, and we will look at the other verses related to this, Uh, Following tonight, this is the end of this little discussion on the action of the will. That term, evil one, becomes a little bit more powerful and clear. He is the evil one. He is the source of all evil. If there is pure evil, it's him. If you wanted to see what evil is... If we could, it would be to look at him, not some event or person other than him. He is evil in every bit of his essence. There is nothing good. There is nothing holy. There is nothing even ad- admirable. It is, he is total evil. So we're trying to understand where evil came from, which played out in all of our lives, And so we've asked three questions, and I'm answering those, and I'll give you the conclusion tonight. But how could Satan sin if God created him without God being the cause of sin and desiring sin? So if God created him, then how could he have created him and not really be the cause of sin? And so we, biblically, you look at things asymmetrically, meaning that God is the Uh, proximate, he is the cause, the immediate cause of holiness, but he is not of evil. Now that's what's said 
and should be believed, and that's what the Bible teaches. But how do you maintain that? The second question is, how did sin enter the universe that God called good, even very good? Why would God call sin good or his determined will to bring about sin good? You see the problem? God calling sin good or that he's going to bring about sin and evil, and that's good. And the third question is a really common way of phrasing this for just everybody, and that is, why did God create if he knew man would sin or even desired man to sin? Why did God, if God knew we were going to sin and all this was going to come out, why did he create us? And so we'll give you an answer to that. So we've looked at three kinds of the will. One of them is determinism. And sometimes this is called hard determinism. I've already given you all this, all these definitions. I'm not going through the whole thing, but they're much more expanded on these PowerPoints. Determinism says that moral responsibility and determinism are not compatible. So if you're determined, you can't be morally responsible for your actions. So that's sometimes called hard determinism, and no one in Christianity believes that, although there are people who do believe that. The second view is called compatibilism, and it says that determinism and moral responsibility are compatible, and that's where the name compatibilism comes from. <clears throat> but and, and sometimes compatibilism is called soft determinism. But don't let that confuse you because it is no less deterministic than hard determinism. The way that they are able to say you're morally responsible is that compatibilism says as long as you choose according to your greatest desire, you are morally responsible. So if you freely chose, if your greatest desire was to rob a bank and you rob the bank, you are morally responsible. But what you don't hear most of the time is that the desire, the greatest desire from which that free choice came was determined. So what you have is in determinism, whether it's compatible or just hard determinism is that before the person chooses, that is, that is ultimately determined by determinate antecedents, things that preceded it. So this preceded this and determined this, and this preceded this, and it keeps going back. It's a causal chain. So in compatibilism, Though the choice is considered free if you choose according to your greatest desire, remember that the desire is determined by your past. So it creates this oxymoron of a determined free choice. But what also is not said is in the moral moment of decision with compatibilism, you could not have chosen differently than you did in fact choose. In other words, if you looked back on that situation, you chose, and it was a free choice because you chose according to your greatest desire, but the free choice came from a determined desire. 
And in that moral moment, you could not have done anything different than what you did in fact do. So you see, it's all determined. That's compatibilism. God is determining everything. And so he determines it, and, and therefore, man in compatibilism is what's called the proximate cause. He did choose to rob this person, so he's responsible because it was according to his greatest desire if he wasn't coerced. But if you keep tracing the chain back, God is the ultimate cause. There is inescapable. God is the ultimate cause of everything that happens, micro thing. Every molecule that's moving right now, every atom, everything that's going on at this second is being caused by God. Every thought, whether it's good, bad, evil, every act, everything is being ultimately caused. So they say, well, God uses secondary causes, but you keep tracing back, and I told you it doesn't mean if there's, it doesn't matter if there's two causes, three causes, four causes, five causes, six causes, ultimately you go back to somewhere that caused it all, and that's God. He is the ultimate cause. So even if it's sin, it is God. So people say, I want to know what the will of God is. Okay, I'm going to tell you how you can know that. from a Now, compatibilists are not going to teach this, but I'm just telling you the logic and the entailments take you here. If you want to know what the will of God is for this very second, this millisecond in this world, look around. All you have to do is look around. Because every millisecond, everything that's happening is the will of God. He determined it all. It's inescapable. He is the ultimate cause. There are secondary and tertiary and quaternary and so forth causes in between those, but he's the ultimate. So the will of God at this very second, look around you. Whatever's going on, that is the will of God according to compatibilism. So when you see evil, it is God. So Adam and Eve freely chose to sin because it was their greatest desire, but in the moral moment of decision of eating of the tree, they could not have chosen to resist sinning because their greatest desire was determined from their past. And if you trace the past back, you have to end up at God creating them. So in compatibilism, in the moral moment of decision, you could not make a different decision than you did choose given your same past. Lucifer. So this unrighteousness was found in him. You can't, he could not have chosen differently in that moral moment of decision given his past because his greatest desire was to exalt himself to be God. He made a free choice. He's responsible according to compatibilism. But if you trace it back, God created him and started the chain going. So he did exactly what God wanted him to do. Adam and Eve did exactly what God desired them to do. So you all the time have a righteous, holy God calling 
sin evil, and yet he's the one that desired it and brought it into being. So what is the will of God? You can look around you. So those are the two deterministic. Now this brings us to libertarian. We talked a little bit about it last week, so I review a couple of things, but basically to give you the rest of it. So libertarianism says, and this doesn't have anything again to do with libertarian politics. Libertarian says that moral responsibility and determinism are not compatible. They're not compatible. So if you are determined, if I held a gun to your head and made you do something, you're not responsible for that act. You're under duress. So what Libertarian says, that in life, in the world, you have to be able to at least choose some things, not everything. You don't have to have every decision free. You have to have some things that you chose to do that in the moral moment of decision, given your same past, you could have chosen differently. So it doesn't mean things are not determined. It doesn't mean people can't override your free will. It just means there are some times that a person can either act or refrain. They can steal the dollar or not steal the dollar. That's all it means, is that if you find any circumstances anywhere in the Bible where there's one instance of somebody making a real choice between this and that, and it appears like they could have done differently, then you have libertarian freedom. So let me give you a few things about that. <clears throat> libertarian freedom in Christianity, now remember these views are not just for Christians. It's not something that arose out of theology. This is a, a world argument. <clears throat> uh, and, if, and if somebody says, well, libertarianism is philosophical, well, so is determinism and, and compatibilism. They're all philosophical. And so some people don't know that the very view they hold is a philosophical. So they, they're broader than just Christianity or religion. So in Christianity, though, and that's the way I'm applying it, libertarian freedom is a part of being created in the image of God. So that you have the ability to choose to do this or do that, given the same past, and whatever you did choose, you could have chosen differently. That's a part of being created in the imago Dei, the image of God. God did not have to create. He could have chosen not to create. There were no needs. There was no compulsion. He freely chose, and given the past and eternity, he could have chosen differently. Second, options are real. They're accessible. There are some options that are real, that they're accessible, meaning they're not hypothetical. You could have gone to the store or you could have gone to the gas station first, and those are real choices. And if you did go to the gas station first and then the store, you could have chosen to go to the store and the gas station, given your same pass. Third, it doesn't mean you can do anything. It's just, <clears throat> you're rarely going to hear libertarian freedom from those who oppose it defined correctly. I have never heard it defined correctly. Not, I'm not talking about on the world stage of philosophers and stuff. I'm talking about in Christianity. Never. 
Never hear them. It's always a caricature. So if you have libertarian freedom, you can do anything you will? No. Anything you want? No. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that at all. But that's the way, it's a caricature. It's not really a definition of it. So it doesn't mean you can do anything. I can't fly. You can't increase your IQ, you know. If you're 140, you can't say, I want to be 160 and do that. And on and on and on. Fourth, God sovereignly created mankind with libertarian freedom, and like any other force, he's sovereign over people's free will. This is another mischaracterization. So you believe man is in charge. You believe man's sovereign. No. Free will doesn't say that. Free will is a force, and it's a very mighty force. But it's under the jurisdiction of the one who created it, and that's God. He's still sovereign. There are many forces in the world. Think about, think about the water. Do you realize the damage and the power of water? If you, if you have a flood going on in your city and you know, there's water this deep and you think you're going to walk across it and it's rushing, it'll sweep you away. I mean, I, I've been in a flood where, where automobiles were floating down the road. But it doesn't make it sovereign. So nobody says that libertarian free will makes you sovereign. It's a force that God created and it's under his jurisdiction. Five, options are different for the same person at different places and ages. And we talked a little bit about that. So not only are the options that you had growing up and I had growing up different, different for different people, the options we have here in Oklahoma and somebody in Australia are different. But the same person has different options at different stages of life. And if you live in this state and you move to another state, your options that you can do, say, for recreation will change. I mean, you you know, you, you can't go snow skiing here in Norman in the winter, even if it snows. Right? You just can't do that. But if you were in Colorado, you could. So your options change based on where you are, your age, and so forth. So just because you lose some options doesn't mean you don't have libertarian free will. Free will can be overridden by God, so I gave you Nebuchadnezzar. It's possible that's what happened with Pharaoh. Not necessarily, but could be. But it's also overridden by people. Police override our free will. When they take us to jail for something, we override our children's free will. When they act up and we send them to their room, they didn't want to go in there, but we overrode it. But they didn't lose their free will. They still in that room have free will. So that's a misnomer that because someone overrides your free will, that you lose your free will. So what the fall did was change the range of options. Since the fall, Adam and Eve could choose every day to walk with God, and that's from creative grace. They were created where they could choose to love God and to follow God and obey God. But with the fall, they didn't lose their free will, but they lost that option. And so you find very quickly that God's 
giving them animal skins, meaning shedding of blood. In Genesis 3.15, you find the promise of the one who would conquer Satan and sin. So that's salvational grace or redemptive grace. So when God created, he had a coextensive creation redemption plan. But you didn't lose your free will. You just lost the option on your own by how you'd been created to follow God. So I do not believe that after the fall, man has on his own within the range of options of being created the ability to believe in God without grace, redemptive grace, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the drawing of the Father and the Son, the calling of the Father and the power of the Gospel. And all of these things were to overcome what happened in the fall to keep us from knowing God. So so here's a PowerPoint. Uh, Hopefully we can get this one up. So it says, regarding the problem of the presence of sin. There's two things I want to show you. Compatibilism leaves one with a problem of ultimate responsibility. Can't get away from it. It's impossible. God is ultimately responsible for sin. Whereas libertarian freedom does not leave you with that quandary. So first, sin is the result of Lucifer's and then man's misuse of the good gift of free choice. Given to each by God. Free will and free choice is a good gift given by God. Sin is the misuse of that. God did not desire Lucifer or man to sin, and they did not have to sin, as is the case with compatibilism. So in libertarianism, God didn't desire them to sin, and they did not have to sin. They could have chosen to resist. In compatibilism, they could not. But he did know and therefore comprehend in his plan that Lucifer and then man would sin. Meaning, it did not catch him by surprise. That's why it's a coextensive creation-redemption plan. I'm going to create man with free will. But he's going to sin. God knew what we would do. And I'm going to therefore have a coextensive plan to offer redemption and to give him the ability again to restore the ability to be able to believe. One was from creative grace. This one is from redemptive grace. It's always by grace. Everything is under the umbrella of grace. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this. I touched on this last time. It may very well be that one cannot create a free being with the option to sin and guarantee that he will not misuse his freedom. However, Scripture teaches us that God overcomes this dilemma through a coextensive creation and redemption plan. So if you read the, uh, the, the greatest minds arguing on this, like Robert Kane and <clears throat> Evan Plantica and others, I've never read anybody or ever ran across anybody on either sides of the argument that can give you a way that you can create people 
with true libertarian freedom that they could, given the same past, choose to do this right or choose to do wrong, and whatever they did choose, they could have chosen differently in that moral moment that says that you can create a world where you can guarantee that they will not sin. That's a very important thing. See, with compatibilism, you can give them a greatest desire that chooses not to sin, and they will never sin. Sin will never enter the universe. So when you give a compatible moral freedom, and the greatest desire is to choose to sin, that came from you, and you had to desire that to happen. But you could have created a universe that had no sin if you have compatible moral freedom. In libertarian, you can't guarantee that. You say, well, yeah, but I mean, I think you could put this person and do this, and they, no. Because in the moral moment of decision, whatever their past is, they could have chosen differently, you see. So there's the risk that the person will sin. And if God gave us libertarian freedom, you can actually say he never desired sin, never desired anything but holiness. And I think that's what you find in the Scripture. But he knew they would do it, and he not only permitted permitted it to happen, he didn't cause it, he didn't desire it, or he permitted it, but he provisioned for overcoming it. That's the thing only God can do. No one can figure out how to make libertarian free beings and guarantee they won't sin, and if they do sin, game over. There's nothing you can do about it. And God's saying, no, the game's not over. I can overcome that dilemma through redemptive grace. So this next PowerPoint says, in Scripture, many things are determined... Uh, many things are determined that does not undermine or destroy libertarian moral freedom, free will. So long as in some cases a being can choose to do one thing but could have, given the same past, chosen to do otherwise. That's all it takes. So here's what I want to say to you. Read your Bible. Just read it yourself. And if you find anywhere that it's clear to you that God gave a choice. Do this and I'll bless you. Do this and I'll curse you. Anything, anywhere, one time. All you have to find is one. You have libertarian freedom. Because libertarian freedom, you say, well, but there are verses that where God determined things. Yeah, libertarian freedom, determinism doesn't hurt it at all. All you have to have is one place. But we have many places. Millions of places in life. We're making choices and responsible. So God determines some things. And he gives man the ability to choose. And it all came from him in some areas. And he holds us more responsible. So in contrast to libertarian, compatibilism, if you find one act in Scripture where God portrays man as having been able to have chosen differently even with the same past, compatibilism is destroyed. It is destroyed. There is no allowance in a deterministic approach for anyone to make a true, otherwise choice where given the same past, they could have chosen differently in the moral moment. 
And it is therefore not a biblical view of angels or man's moral freedom. To appreciate the gravity of that, you have to understand the entire Calvinistic system is built on determinism. It stands or falls on it. And when they say everything's determined, they mean everything, every molecule, every thought. So as I said, if you really want to know what the will of God is in a deterministic system, look around. At any given second, that's the will of God, whatever's happening. If your family's catching on fire in a house and burning, that's the will of God. Everything is exactly because God is determining everything, micro-determining But in determinism, there's no place for the act of the will to choose differently, what we call contrary choice or otherwise choice. So if you read your Bible and you find places, I think you'll find hundreds and maybe thousands. Well, that's clearly God showing that they had a choice and there are consequences. Then you can't have Calvinism and compatibilism. It falls apart. You can have libertarianism with determinism, but you can't have compatibilism with any free otherwise choice. That's the seriousness and the gravity of that. So that brings us to our three questions that we tried to answer. So number one, how could Satan sin if God created him without God being the cause of sin? And desiring sin. So if God created Satan, then how can you have Satan sinning and God not the cause of sin and actually desiring sin? Well, according to compatibilism, you can't. It's inescapable. He had to desire it not desired in the sense of, so everything that's going on, God desired in a broad sense to create the world and permit certain things and cause certain things and so forth. It's not that desire. It's that he desired every specific sin and evil and hurt and loss, everything. So that's how you explain it. What's the origin of sin? It actually was born in the mind and the heart of God and his desire and his determinative creation. It is inescapable. You cannot get away from that. And as I told you, I've sat more than once with a, with a Calvinist and we've talked for uh, many, many hours. And I just know most of the hoops you have to jump through to get to the final conclusion. If you don't know the hoops, then you get lost along the way. So I kept jumping through the hoops and kept reiterating my question. And finally we got to the place where there was a pause. And I said, could Adam and Eve chosen in the moral moment of decision not to sin? And his answer was no. That's the only place you can get. John Piper gets honest about this sometimes. And... And he gets hounded for it. 
but he's just trying to follow the logic of the system. But if it's libertarian free will, then it is that God gave them free will, which nobody denies that that's a good gift. To be able to choose to do this or choose to go here, that freedom is good. So God gave the free gift of free will. Sin came from the misuse of God's good gift. Therefore, God did not desire it, and he did not cause it. You see, in, in libertarian free will, where the person, it's called agency. These are technical names, it's, and it's called uh, efficient cause. So that means when your child, your 12-year-old child goes and they, they take the cake that you told them not to eat, and they take it to the room and they eat it. You don't go tracing, okay, well, what caused him to do that? And what caused that? You don't do that like you would in compatibilism. You go, you chose to do it, now you're going to be punished. He's the efficient cause. Why you're here tonight, you're the efficient cause. It doesn't mean other things don't influence you. It doesn't mean they can even strongly influence you. It just means they don't cause. You are the agent that brought about the act or thought. So you have two perspectives. One of them is that God is ultimately the cause and ultimately desired all evil. And the other is that God did not desire it and he did not cause it, but he desired to give the good gift of free will and the cause of it is the misuse of free will. And, and I've... I've read and I, I interact with D.A. Carson and others who try to keep that asymmetrical relationship where God is connected to good but he's disassociated from evil but it's impossible with compatibilism and decretal theology. It just cannot be done. So that's the first thing. You either have God ultimately causing and desiring it or God giving the good gift to free will which you cannot guarantee that that person will not misuse that gift and he becomes the efficient cause of the agency and he is the cause of sin and is there because he desired to sin contrary to God's desire for his life. It's like you give a good gift to someone, a car, and then they go and misuse it and tear it up. The gift you gave was good, but they misused it. So that's one. That's the answer to the first question. The second one is, how did sin enter into the universe that God called good, very good? Why would God call sin good or his determined will to cause sin? In other words, if there was sin there, why would he say it's good? But also, even if he knew he had created all this to cause sin, why would he call that good and even very good? Well, in determinism, he desired it. So what he's doing is calling sin good. He's calling an environment that he has determined to meticulously and microscopically do evil. And there is no way out of it. And he called that good, even very good. But if free will and libertarian free will is there, then he looked at man that he had created in his image 
and man could choose to walk with God or not, that's the free gift was good, and he said, it is good, it is very good. And man's misuse of it, again, free misuse of it is where sin came from. Same thing with Lucifer. The third question, why did God create if he knew man would sin or even desired that man sin? Or, or desired that. So <clears throat> this is the way it's commonly phrased. Because you, your baby died, you went through a divorce, you got a bad health diagnosis, somebody robbed your home. Just, and just, we just ask, so why did God create and there's all this evil? Or you watch the news or all of these things. Why did he do this? Well, you have two basic choices. One is that he desired all of it and he determined all of it. That's why you see it. That's why it's there. So why did he create a world when he knew that all this evil was going to happen? He knew it because he determined it. And by the way, in, in compatibilism, God knows what he determined and he determined what he knows. But in libertarian, you can answer God gave the good gift of free will. And sin and all of the evil you see has come about by the misuse of that. But God didn't cause it, nor did he desire it. And so if God wanted to create a world with beings in his image, there had to be the possibility of sin. You see, it was all about love. The Trinity was satisfied. <clears throat> there was no love need within the Trinity. There were no needs at all. But there was no love need. There was perfect love within the triune God. So perfect satisfaction. There wasn't need in God to create someone to love or to have them love him. <clears throat> but in the triune God, there was perfect love, and what God wanted to do was share the love with a creation. And so he created the universe and all the inhabitants of it, and there could be a love relationship. But everyone knows that a love relationship is something you choose. If you're forced to love. That's not love. So like God, I'm going to create, and I'm, again, you, you know, when you talk about God and eternity, he always knew he would do this. So, but I'm going to create a world, and I'm going to love that world, and they're going to have the opportunity to love me back and to live forever. Because that's genuine love. The love that God gave us is genuine love. And for us to love him back with genuine love is we have to have the choice just like he did. But in that, when you give free will, there has to be, that, there has to be free will to be able to choose not to. Because God could have chosen not to create us in love and give us eternal life and what's coming in the future. So free will is really the only one that answers the love issue and the issue that gets God where he's not the cause nor the desire of sin. 
That's the crux of all of this. That it all came from the sin of Satan. God did not desire him to do it. He did not create him to do it. But he comprehended it in his plan. And it did not upset anything that God had already planned in his coextensive creation redemption plan. So all evil, even on a regular daily basis, what is evil coming about in people's lives? By our choices. Our choices. We choose to do this, it causes evil, it causes harm to someone. But it was back then before there was sin. So that's the choice that you have. As far as I know and I've ever read and I've never heard anybody give anything else that either God determined it, if he determined it, he did desire it. And everybody's doing exactly what God wants. Or he created man with free will and he gave him a choice and he desired that he would do holiness but he's allowing and permitting sin and he's overcome that through the redemptive plan and the coextensive creation redemptive plan so we have a chance to break out of that and God doesn't desire anyone as we saw to perish in hell which was designed by the way for Satan so let's pray Father we thank you Lord for your word and and being reminded that you are a holy God pursuing and loving holiness and righteousness and purity and hating sin, abhorring evil and will judge it in an infinite way. Every evil, every sin. You have paid for our own sin by Christ, the greatest, greatest price. And those that reject that will be judged in and for their own sin for eternity. So we thank you for loving us. And Lord, we do love you. And we thank you that all of the consequences of sin that kept us from making an Adamic choice in the morning of a day to love and to follow you, you overcame with grace enablements of the Holy Spirit convicting us, the power of the gospel, which is the power of you unto salvation, the drawing of the Son and the Father, the call, all of these things, God, that you used to overcome that, to give us a choice just like Adam had and Eve had. We love you. We look for the day when you conquer all evil, and we know that you will. We ask these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. Amen. Lord, give you a great week, and then next week we'll begin walking through the rest of the verse.